Does everything have a bright side to it? Of course. It doesn't always outweigh the negatives, but everything has a bright side to it. This makes happiness a choice. And here we say that the discipline of being happy is the ultimate discipline. With that said, welcome to the Ultimate Discipline Podcast, where we meet with people who are practitioners of this exact discipline, and we hear their cool stories of cultivating happiness through challenges in their life. I am your host, Sean Greenspan. Let's get to it. What's going on, everybody? I am so excited to have Mark Sisson on the podcast today. I was in the gym this morning, and uh, Bo, the owner of my gym, has a big library of books. And I saw Mark's book up there, and I started chatting with Bo about it. He's one of the guys I respect, you know, Mark, um, when it comes to his fitness and nutrition knowledge. And he's like, you know, he's like, yeah, that's one of the books. Like, got to get it. You got to read it. Um, for those of you that uh, don't know Mark, he's had an awesome life as an athlete, as an author. Um, he's well respected for, you know, um, you know, the book that he wrote, uh, the, the company that he made, you know, Primal Kitchen, maybe you know him from the, the Buffalo Sauce. That was my first introduction to, <laughs> to Primal Kitchen. Um, I actually, Mark, the first time I uh, came across you and your name was actually through Paluva. Um, I was looking for a new barefoot shoe. And I know that's probably, that's probably backwards from, you know, from most people. I um, came, came across, you know, started doing some work with you guys as well, but also started wearing the shoe, right? That's, to me, that's more important than anything. Notice how it put, like, it puts, we can dive into it, it puts pressure on my feet where I like it, makes it me feel no, more natural. Um, I am so excited to dive into your background, uh, Mark, and I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. No, it's my pleasure, Sean, and I love the fact that you didn't know about me other than through Paluva. Because, uh, because I, you know, we're trying to change the way the world walks with this new shoe, and most people, um, I'm sure many of your listeners do know me from the Primal Blueprint or Mark's Daily Apple or Primal Kitchen, the food company. So, um, however we got here, here we are. Let's go. Yeah. No, I, I think it's, I think it's great. Um, and you know, you, you have, you have quite uh, an extensive background. Um, do you mind sharing a little bit about your origin story, about how you got into such a focus on health and wellness? I was just, uh, you know, as a kid, I was, um, I grew up in Maine. I grew up in a small fishing village in Maine. I didn't want to be a fisherman. I wanted to figure out a way to, to get out of that kind of lifestyle and go um, explore other opportunities. Uh, I was, so I was very curious for some bizarre reason, I got interested in anti-aging at the age of like 12 and 13. I started reading kind of these, uh, there weren't many books in those days on anti-aging, but there were books on healthy lifestyles. And I, I read a lot of those. And um, I was, I lived a mile and a half from school and I found myself jogging to and from school as a means of transportation because I could beat the bus both ways. Uh, based on the amount of running I was doing, I became a pretty good runner. And so I went out for the track team found myself fit enough to win the mile and the two mile in most of the track events. So that sort of set the pace for me to become an endurance athlete. Uh, that was the, that was the track that I was, um, leaning toward combine that with an interest in biology. I was kind of a pre-med student and, uh, had an interest in, in human biology, but also in human evolution. And so over the years, I kind of, I became a great, uh, good runner. I mean, I was, finished fifth in the U.S. National Championship Marathon in 1980, and I finished fourth at Ironman, so I was a fairly decent athlete. 
but it was always interested in human performance and things that, that I could do to improve my performance, which in the world of endurance means going faster. Whether that was methods or whether that was the diet, uh, whether that was uh, even some supplements that were starting to come available at the time, really got interested in all of those things. And, and, and coincidentally, as I, as I get further and further along in my career as an athlete, I got more and more injured. And I find out later that I was injured as a result of my diet, as a result of the training. So I learned a lot. And, uh, you know, you and I talked before the show a little bit about, you know, what, what life looks like in a, in a totality. And the fact that many of the things that happened to us that at the time seem like they're uh, horrible or bad or have a negative connotation wind up being the best things that ever happened to us. So in my case, my getting injured, my having to retire from competition, put me on a path toward examining ways in which everybody could be lean and strong and fit and happy and healthy and productive without all of the pain and suffering and sacrifice that I think so many people assume they have to engage in in order to, uh, to have a wonderful life. The, the, the premise was, in my case, I was combining my experience as an athlete with my investigations into uh, human biology and physiology with human evolution. And over the years, I came up with this idea that most of what happens to us um, and how we manifest ourselves as strong and fit and healthy has to do with our behavior, right? It has to do with how the genes express themselves, how we turn on the genes that burn fat, how we turn on the genes that build muscle, how we turn off the genes that store fat or tend to want to make us sick. Um, and so my life's work became about discovering these hidden genetic switches that we all have. So I wrote a lot of books. I wrote, I think I'm at 11 books now on uh, diet and exercise and training and, and kind of coaching people in ways in which they could become fitter and stronger and healthier if they want to. I don't have, you know, necessarily the only way. I just have a way that's been proven over, over the years. As I started writing books and as I started talking more and more, I, I, I also had a blog called Mark's Daily Apple. It became the number one blog in the ancestral health sphere uh, 2006 and uh, still going strong, you know, um, 18 years later. And, uh, and as I was... Over the years, as I was, uh, I, I sold supplements. I made, I designed a line of supplements early on. And for about 25 years, I supported myself quite nicely with a supplement business. But I, I discovered that I was writing more and more about food and how to make real food, natural food, how to get rid of processed food, how to kind of eliminate the sugars and the industrial seed oils and the, and the, and the processed grains. Realizing that, that when you do that, what makes food interesting are the sauces, the dressings, the toppings, the methods of preparation, the herbs and the spices. And so I, I, as a inventor and as a guy who's trying to, you know, solve the world's problems, um, every chance I get, I created this line of food called primal kitchen. And, uh, we introduced world's first avocado oil based mayonnaise and then avocado oil based salad dressings and pasta sauces. And, we launched our first product in 2015 and it was an instant hit and, and it took off and it became one of the fastest growing natural food products in the country and, 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 uh, in history, uh, to the point that three years later I was, uh, offered, I got an offer to buy it from Kraft Heinz and I sold it to them and, uh, thought, okay, that's great. I'll retire. And then that didn't work. I wasn't happy. I wasn't, uh, enjoying, 
you know, I wasn't extracting the most pleasure out of every possible moment by thinking about ways in which I could play golf or learn how to, you know, uh, needlepoint or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> the, you know, the retirement life. So I, I turned my attention to this problem that had plagued me my entire life, which was, which is my dissatisfaction with virtually every type of footwear out there, whether it was dress shoes that were too tight and restrictive or running shoes that were too thick and sloppy and, and cushiony. Um, and I'd been an early adopter of the original five toed shoes um, and had worn them almost exclusively for 12 or 13 years, but realized that it was time that somebody came in and redesigned footwear from the ground up. And that's what started me on this path to changing the way the world walks, which is, which is the mission behind Paluva, which is to get people to understand that the bottoms of your feet, your feet are the most important connection you have to earth. They are what get you from here to there. That's what you need to play sports, to lift, to run, to jump, to sprint, to, to just even to walk to the, to the terminal in the airport, get on a plane and go to another country and do a walking tour. You need your feet for everything you do. And we recognize that people just don't, they don't take care of their feet. They don't take care of their foot health. And they, you know, and they sort of assume that, that what they have, the bunions that they have or the plantar fasciitis or the heel issues are like a natural part of getting older or a natural part or they, or they inherited it from them, from their parents. And of course, nothing could be further from the truth. You're born with perfect feet. So the idea behind Paluva is to provide footwear that allows you to relax, realign and strengthen your feet uh, every moment of every day when you're wearing them. I'll stop there, Sean, because that was a long winded kind of speech. But <laughs> that's, that's part of my life story. Hey, man, you got a lot to share. Yeah, I, I, uh, I love it, you know, um, and uh, I mean, I, there, there's such a theme of just you trying to uh, become the best version of yourself. Right. And help others. And now um, I have a lot. I have a lot of questions, but I'm, I'm trying to think of one that I, I don't know if someone's asked you. So this is what this is what comes to mind. Oh, for good me. luck with this. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> um, here we go. So uh, I, I'll kind of say it in a story, in a, a little bit of a story to start. Um, yeah. Me and my dad are, are opposites. I, I would say I'm more um, in your uh, camp where I remember, I, I remember like uh, asking my mom if I could wake up before work or before work, before school and run around the neighborhood, right. To make sure I get my exercise, right. Like, yeah. um, you know, like asking like at 11 years old, asking for like, not, sugar, you know, stuff like, Hey, can we have extra fruit today or something? Um, and that's, you know, it's kind of like went along with the theme of my life. Like I am, I am certainly, uh, I don't want to say always, but frequently looking to, uh, be healthier, um, and help others change. My dad gives me pushback on that because he thinks that comes from an inherent, uh, lack, right? Like, why do you feel like you need to be better or healthier or why do you feel like i need to change because you know <laughs> it's my dad i'm always like dude exercise like start making protein shakes in the morning all that stuff so i, I want to ask you um wh what's the root of this this like want to change that you're that you're uh experiencing because it, it, it seems like that's a consistent theme it also from my uh from my research of you my brief interaction with you here it doesn't feel like it's rooted in like, you know, oh, like I'm sad. So I want to be happy. I'm unhealthy. So I want to be healthy. Like it don't like it, it doesn't seem like it's rooted in something negative. Um, 
nor do I feel that way for me. But my dad has posed that question to me, and I actually haven't had a great answer to <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it's, uh, it's different for everybody, I think. Uh, people do things for different reasons. Uh, I, I, th- I think I just wanted better. I wanted not that the, the, the status quo wasn't good or great. Um, you know, as I tell people, we were, we, we were poor, but we didn't know it. Right. We had, I had a great life as a kid. You know, we rode bikes and, and played army and did all the politically incorrect stuff that people can't do now. But, um, you know, I had a great, a great life, but I always, I always wanted to, um, improve my lot in life. And I, and I really do think that that's, uh, something that you're maybe born with and it's not a bad thing. I mean, it, it's, I, the, 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 you know, the opposite is to just sort of cruise through life. And I'll give you an example. My wife, she just loves life. She doesn't worry about anything. She doesn't, I mean, she's into self-improvement and, and, you know, she's, she works out, but she doesn't think in terms of like, I have to do this to improve my station or, or to improve whatever. She just enjoys every moment as it comes by. I, am more in the camp of, you know, what's next. That's sort of my big thing is what's next. And that's when I described my, you know, journey, however briefly the description was, I, when I was um, in business with the supplements, I had a good business, but I'm all, my brain's always going, what's next? Like, what else can we do? Um, it's almost like in, um, uh, in the, in, in improv, classes yes and right it's it's that it's that concept of not yes but or no it's yes and so for me it's always been what's next and that's what got me into paluva after i had a very successful exit from my company and had all the money i needed for the rest of my life uh it wasn't about that it was just about okay what's next you know one of the things as an endurance athlete you're out there alone you're doing you're training hard and you're putting in the miles and you're trying to improve, you know, your times and your performance. Uh, but it's a really interesting, you know, it's, first of all, it's not fun. Uh, it's, it's what I would say you're managing discomfort all day long in your workouts. You're managing discomfort to the point that you see how much discomfort you can handle in your training. So that when you get into a race, then you can really handle discomfort. And hopefully if you're the one who handles it the best, you win the race. It's really, yeah. it's, it's, it's almost a perverse way of looking at it. And, you know, I've, I've tried to go back and examine my choices there. Like, why would I do that? I mean, I, again, as a, as a kid, I was small. I was not big enough to play football, basketball, baseball. I gravitated to running. I became good at running. But I was also bullied in school. I was beat up. And in those days, kids beat kids up on the way home from school. Uh, so, you know, maybe that's the reason I became an Ironman. Right. Uh, somewhere in, in, in the back of my mind. I don't know. But I felt always felt compelled to do uh, the next thing to like, what's this? What's next? Like, what can I do? Not from a not so much, I think, from from out, any sort of uh, insufficiencies as just I think humans in general want to improve their lot. They want to move up to the next level of comfort. I, I mean, I think seeking security and seeking comfort are two uh, innate, um, you know, they're, they're feelings that are, that are, uh, we're, they're, we're born with. And 
the desire to have security I'm in the in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So my desire to have security kept kept me uh, going in business because I wanted to be able to not have to worry about feeding my family or whatever. That's the negative side of it. The positive side of it was that it was always just a fun challenge. Business is not easy, but it's, uh, you know, I, I'm sharing this business with my son, Kyle, and we're having fun together doing it. And and it's got its roller coaster ups and downs. It's some of the stuff that happens is like, holy shit, how did, like, what did, what happened there and who messed up there and how did that, you know, how are we going to get out of this hole? On the other hand, the, the whole process is one of growth and learning and and accomplishment, satisfaction, uh, and you know all of the all of those little kind of hits that you you want to get from dopamine and you know serotonin and and all the neurotransmitter hits you want from having moments every day that make you feel alive, make you feel like you're making a contribution. That's another thing I think people um, yeah most people want to feel like they're making a contribution. Yeah. Uh, in, in whatever way they can. So, um, yeah, I, I, I guess that's, you did ask a tough question, Sean. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you, you know, part, part of it is, uh, I, I do have some questions that might be a little more, um, you know, uh, we'll say common, uh, but, and I, I still, I definitely want to ask them, but you know, um, it's, it's something that, that, uh, I just, I was curious about, you know, like I've, I've written like a mission statement of my life. Like, you know, I don't know why we're here as humans. I'd like to think I know why I'm here. And my, my mission statement boiled down is basically to acquire as much wisdom as I can through experience or direct learning and to pass it on to as many people as possible, but also as deep as possible, right? Like changing somebody's entire life counts as a million points in the game of life versus you know, helping a bunch of people get a little information. Maybe it counts as one point a bunch of times. Um, and that's really, in, in my opinion, what you're doing, right? Like, and you're doing it on an amazing scale. You're like, I learned all this about nutrition. Now I'm going to start Primal Kish Kitchen, deliver a value to people because most people aren't going to learn it, let alone go make their own avocado oil-based mayonnaise or, you know, whatever. Um, and then and you're, you're delivering like a valuable like resource. And, you know, I think that's wonderful. Um, same thing with, with the shoes, right? Man, Mark, I, so I'm an endurance athlete as well. Uh, I just, um, I have my second hundred miler coming up this year. I like to do, yeah, real, real slow, you know, just keep it moving. Um, I, uh, I, it's, I, I just, I love it. And what I realized was, I could be in the best shape, strong as an ox, like great fitness. I stretch a lot. Your feet go first. And if your feet, and more importantly, even if that wasn't true, if your feet aren't healthy, it doesn't matter if you have strong ankles, knees, correct muscles, like, you know, you got, you got it's like build, what's the expression? It's like building a house on sand, right? Um, and that's where I started falling in love with foot stretches, foot strengthening, and you can't always go barefoot. Uh, well, let me ask, do you prefer to go barefoot if you can? Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I'm the proponent of, of minimalist footwear and going barefoot and I go barefoot as often as I can. But the reality of today's environment is with all of yeah. the pavement, concrete, marble, you know, tile floors, hardwood floors, uh, it's impractical 
And like I would, I, I live in Miami and I like to do six and eight mile walks. I could not walk barefoot on pavement the whole time. Now I could on the sand and I've done it on the sand. And it's great if you're barefoot on the sand, but the practical reality is uh, you can't, yep. it, it, it's, it's not only impractical, it's probably antithetical to health to go barefoot on those surfaces. In other words, we did not evolve. We, you know, we, we were born barefoot millions of years. We were barefoot and that's all we had. We didn't have shoes. So we evolved to be barefoot, but we didn't evolve on these surfaces, right? We evolved to walk barefoot on matted grass, on tamp down earth, on, on different uh, varying degrees of textures and surfaces and things like that. Not just some flat metronomic pavement that stretches on for miles and miles. I mean, that was the issue I had with the original five-toed shoes, which were so thin, so thin that, um, if I walked three miles in them on concrete, I would get a bone bruise. I'd get, I'd get, my feet would hurt uh, just because you're not taking advantage of the yeah. parts of your foot that are supposed to absorb shock and do all the things that they're supposed to do. So with Paluva, what we did was he added just, you know, four millimeters of extra soft EVA cushioning, but you still have the ground feel. So when you, I don't know if you've gone rucking or hiking in the woods or hiking off road, you're in Colorado, of course you have with the Paluvas. I had guys doing six, seven, nine hour hikes with a backpack on in Paluvas, UTMB guys, you know, trail guys yeah. who are training their feet. It's like they don't care that they're not running on those workouts. Every step they take is putting their foot in a different plane, a different dimension, a different surface. And the feet are grabbing the rock or the toes are um, articulating in a different position each time they, they push off. And all of that strengthens the foot it rewires the brain because that's one of the things that people don't get about the, the feet are so there's 200,000 nerve endings in the bottoms of the feet and the feet want to feel the bottom of the earth they want to feel the surface that you're walking on they want to feel the texture and if you bypass that with thick shoes or with stiff shoes not only can you get injured not only do your feet get cramped but you but your brain doesn't get the benefit of all of this neural continuous neural wiring like Every time you take a step, and by the time you weight the foot in front of you, if you're if you're barefoot, um, the brain by the time you put the weight on that, the brain already has all the information it knows on how to how to bend the arch, how to flex the toes, how to how to how to bend the ankle or twist the ankle one way or the other, how to bend the knee, how to torque the hip, all these things that absorb the shock of that that one little foot landing, and and the brain loves that information. It wants to do something with that information. And it, and it not only rewires the brain, it reorients the body in a way that the entire kinetic chain from the bottoms of the feet all the way up to the neck, the entire kinetic chain gets involved in a way that's, uh, uh, that's biomechanically sound and structurally sound according to the design of the body. And regular shoes just screw that up. You know, these flat, <laughs> thick, regular shoes that bypass all that information. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm, I can't wait for this next uh, racing season because I have a lot of guys who've been training in Paluvas and, and not run, not running. I mean, I shouldn't say not running. You know, most of these guys will hike, hike the uphills hard, and then jog the flats or jog the downhills, right? Yeah, but, uh, yeah. It's I think this whole thing about you know we, uh, at our company we say foot health is the new sleep. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And hey, while, while we're on it, this is the this is the plug Paluva time because okay. I got to tell you. Um, last weekend, so I turned 30 two weekends ago, it was negative 10 degrees. 
And I was like, Emma, I told you I was going to run 30 miles on my 30th birthday, not in this weather. And she goes, she goes, all right, if you wait a weekend, you have to do a 50K, so 31.2 miles. I was like, deal. If it's warmer, that's a good deal. Um, so what I, I, I'm barefoot as much as I can. I agree with you, Mark. I think what you said was a really uh, missed piece of information. You have people that are like big shoes or barefoot. You know, barefoot doesn't work. Like this house is hardwood. I stand almost all day. I have a mat under me right now. And, oh, and I'm wearing my pulivos. I'm wearing my palubas because it's a hardwood house, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, I, I don't know. I like to do things intuitively. My heels hurt when I yes. walk <laughs> like too much. Um, and and then, yeah, I, you know, I have some very, very minimal shoes, like the super minimal ones. Um, same thing, long walks, they don't cut it. Um, I, yeah, that's that's what I found with the palubas is like, I take jogs in them, anything under four miles um, yep. on cement. Um, all my walking, all my standing, um, unless it makes sense to be barefoot, right? On dirt, like if I'm on dirt, I tried to go barefoot, you know, maybe not for like long walks. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I absolutely love it. Um, and going back to the story about my 50 K, um, I, I, when I take long runs, I use, I use big running shoes, but I use them as a tool yes, just for course. running. Of right? course. hundred percent. Yeah. I agree. I agree with the concept. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's funny. I tried some shoes out. They were much bigger. Um, the, like if this was my foot, like the outside of my left heel is really, really hurting. Like it almost feels like I just like strained it. Right. And like so much, like I couldn't even like wait there. And I was standing there just like trying to like, like this just over the weekend, I was just kind of looking at my feet, like trying to like, where does it feel good? And it really felt good when the, the full foot was engaged, like the full big toe was, was engaged. And I was like, wow. I was like, wait. That's how my palubas feel. Mm-hmm. So, so this was Saturday, right? Um, last Saturday, Sunday. I'm telling you, yeah, yeah. My, Sunday, I was almost on the couch all day. Besides, I went to go lift weights because I was like, I got exercise. Um, and Monday, it was hurting so bad, and I literally put the palubas on and had a normal day. I took a five mile walk. Yeah. I took them. I took them off and uh, kind of like and put my other shoes on. And I'm telling you, it was instant. Like, it's not like the Pulubas healed me, but they put me into a natural walking position that allowed me to continue to exercise. No, no, it's, uh, I'm, I'm hearing this a lot now. And it's a weird kind of double-edged sword. Um, it's my friend Tom Hodge, who, who's doing a lot of, he's, he's now a year into uh, his training in Pulubas. And much of his training is rucking. He sometimes goes with a 60-pound backpack on. And, uh, and he does like 10 miles. And I think he did like uh, 2,100 miles and 175,000 vertical last year in Paloubas. Uh And he said he was ex- he was training exclusively in Paloubas. He put on his regular running shoes to go do a, a 20-miler the other day. And he said his calves hurt and his quads hurt. And and he we had this conversation and he's like, is that is that right? Because I thought, you know, part of me says that in training in Paloubas, I should be stronger and that should not happen. And I said, well, you know, what's happening is, when you're in your pelvis, you're absorbing the shock, starting with the feet. So 20% of the work is probably done just with the arch and the toes and the splay spreading out the G-forces before they even get to the ankle, before they even bring the, the calf into uh, play. That's the brain distributing the forces evenly up the kinetic chain. When you put on your thick 
cushioned shoes and bypass that information, yes, now you're putting all that strain on whatever the weak link is. In this case, it was your calf muscles and your quads. I mean, he was, he wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't debilitated. He just he noticed that his calves and quads were hurting more after w- running in his regular sort of, you know, high, thick, cushion uh, running yeah. shoes. Yeah. I got to tell you, I, I, my, I feel, okay, I love how you're connecting to the brain. I feel like I'm walking dumb when I walk in my big shoes. So I have, I have one pair of shoes that uh, they're basic. They're called canes and I'm, no, nothing against canes. I own two pairs. I wear them, right? Um, they're, they're, it's like a croc, humongous heel, flat, very wide. Um, and then they're like, they're like made of rubber and they're, pla- they're made for like after the 30 mile run to yeah. like hang out or like I wear them to the gym and then change or like, you know, in the ice yeah. bath and the sauna, stuff like that. When I walk on anything besides flat pancake cement, I feel like I'm walking dumb. And what I mean by that is like, like I'm not reacting to the, to like the earth and like, I'm, it Absolutely. takes a like big like knee and hip motions to like get like, it, it, it's a, it's a weird sensation, but like once you like wear like any minimal shoe or barefoot and then you go to something like that. It just feels like you're like, oh, let me just throw my feet down and like these shoes will catch me. Like you're just like, that's, not abs- no, that's absolutely right. And it's, and you're right. The shoes will catch me. The shoes will dictate what's happened. But in fact, what's happening is without that information, the, the brain has no idea of exactly how and where to bend the knee. So it might bend the knee the wrong way. It might even bend the knee, you know, outwards a little bit uh, because they, these shoes tend to rocker, you know, a little bit like you're walking on, on a BOSU ball or something. Um, I'm, you know, I, I walk a lot. I walk when I'm in Europe, I walk 50 miles a week. Um, it's, it's part of my routine there. Some of it's on pavement, some it's hiking, but I know if I take my, my on running shoes to, to go, you know, to walk three miles, my knees will hurt or my lower back will hurt because I'm walking dumb. I, I'm going to use that line. If you don't mind the walking dumb thing, I think that's a great line. Um, Please you know, do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's, but that's, when you, you know, dumb means, you know, not, you're not thinking that's you walking without your brain having any input into exactly how to orchestrate the entire kinetic chain from the bottoms of the feet up. It's just literally having to start guessing from the ankles up and yeah. uh, that's where you get into trouble. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's funny, I was kind of, uh, preparing for this, this chat this morning, um, and, uh, you know, one of the themes that I, I, I think circles you is the word primal. And obviously you have, you know, the primal blueprint, the primal kitchen. But the word primal, again, I think I came to it backwards. It came to me from the barefoot shoes. Like um, I was talking to my girlfriend over breakfast this morning and I was like, I was like, I'm so excited. Like, again, I was like, I, I get to talk to him about health nutrition, you know, the exit, like, you know, all, all this stuff. I get to talk to him about this primal shoe. And then I was like, oh, primal kit. Like, you know, it like, I was like, oh, primal kitchen, the primal blueprint. And the reason I, I, I bring it up like that too is, um, is, would you, would you say that your view on health and wellness is kind of like, uh, like, so, like, you know, primal, like you want to almost like rewild us to kind of like back how we used to be. Absolutely. That's the reason I have like, by the way, the company that owns Paluva is called Primal Footprint. Uh, so that's the parent company of Paluva. 
That's the that's that's the corporation. It's called Primal Footprint. No, I have trademarks going back to 1982. Primal Urge Press, Primal Blueprint, Primal Nutrition, Primal Fuel, Primal Kitchen, Primal Health Coach. Um, and when I went to get Primal for shoes, which was an obvious next step for me, somebody in Colorado already has the name for clothing. And, and they, they have the, the, just the word primal exclusively for all clothing. So I couldn't, I couldn't get it really kind of pissed me off, but, um, it made us that's So the name Paluva came out of that, um, you know, that, that situation where we couldn't call it what I wanted to call it. Let's make up a name. And so Paluva evolved. And, and in fact, it comes from the Portuguese pe, which is foot and Luva, which is glove. So it's Paluva is foot glove in Portuguese. <sighs> Nice. I was going to ask. You had to have. It had yeah, to have yeah. a reason. It, it is. It is a. Uh, it is a little foot glove. Um, yeah. No, I, I love that. You know, I um. I I often like research a lot about health, right? And then you get all these like facts, and they're usually not that useful. Like information isn't like useful. Like wisdom is, right? And for me. When I'm like, okay, cool, I got like these 10 points, like what's the, what is the overarching element that these things fall under? And then how do I continue to derive that up? Um, it almost feels like I generally have two things that, that things roll up to. One is it both feels good in the moment and I feel good after from it, right? Because like eating cake might feel good in the moment, but you don't feel good after. Exercise, I'll feel good during and after. Or the other is, is this how we used to do it? You know, um, is it, is it the natural way, the primal way? Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I really think like, you know, when pe like people try to confuse things and I don't think they mean to, but I think they try to confuse things because maybe their ego wants to get in the way to give them like an excuse for not being healthy. It's like, Oh, is like this healthy. It's like, you know, like if you have to like open the bag or like, you know, take the wrapping like throw the wrapping away like it's probably yeah. not healthy right <laughs> yeah yeah well I, I would use that same lens that same filter to look at um biohacking for instance you know biohacking is i think it's gotten out of hand there are people who are looking for shortcuts to achieving better health or longevity because they don't want to do the work they don't want to put in the time that's really necessary in the primal way that we evolved um, for these adaptations to take place. So, um, you know, the, the, I don't know, the idea that you would wrap your thighs up in some cold uh, com compressive thing and ride a bike for 10 minutes and get the workout of a 45 minute workout, or that you would, um, you know, put on some headset and watch some uh 3D imagery and get the same alpha state that you would from four hours of sleep. Not buying that stuff. I, I just started thinking about this the other day that biohacking is sort of the day trading of the health world. You know, day trading yeah. isn't, isn't investing. Day trading is just, it's just betting. It's just gambling. There's no two ways around that. And not to say that people who day trade are not, not, not good people, but day trading is not investing. Those companies are not taking your money and hiring people and, and, and buying new equipment and leasing buildings. 
you're just giving somebody else money for a piece of paper that represents fictional ownership of that company, hoping that you can sell it to another guy later on down the road for more money than you paid for it. Well, biohacking yeah. has sort of that same thing. Like, like it, it, it's not, it's a, it's a kind of a short term like solution to, to get a feel good, you know, you, you, you know, a cold plunge, great example. I mean, I'm not against cold plunging. I, I, you know, I do it myself, but I think cold plunging has got oversold as, you know, some, some guys will say, Oh, nothing burns calories like cold plunging. Well, no, that first of all, is wrong. And second of all, like, you want to go burn calories. You want to go do the work, right? You want to get out there and, and work out and, 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 and get the, get, give your body the signals it needs to change and, and to become stronger yeah. or become more uh, biomechanically efficient or to build muscle or, or get faster or whatever it is you're looking for. So um, anyway, I, I, I see that a lot now that people are trying to, you know, circumvent the primalness of who we are. You know, we're basically just apes in pinstripe suits, right? We're just, we're, we're, you know, we, we have the same DNA that we've had for tens of thousands of years. And so we always kind of have to go back to like, oh, how do, how do we get here? You know, what, what are the behaviors that caused us to be strong and lean and fit and live long enough to pass the genes along to the next generation? And too many people are trying to bypass that with like, they're trying to figure out you know, the workaround, figure out the hack. And um, sometimes that kind of, it doesn't piss me off, but it's, I just have to chuckle it at, at the things people are willing to do, you know, to uh, to not have to go do the actual work. I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, um, are you familiar with Dr. Zach Bush by any chance? Yeah, yeah. Re I really like, you know, his, his work. And, um, he, he recently said on a podcast I heard, um, he's like, I don't know what makes us think that like we can do health like better than nature, right? Like yeah. no technology is going to like outdo health. And, you know, again, um, it's funny. My, my thoughts with like cold plumbing, for example, I've went like this, right? It's like, I do it. I like it, but it's not like, holy cow, this is the end all be all. Now I don't need to exercise, meditate, sleep. Like, you know, it's like, yes. you no, know, this is a great addition. You yeah. know, it's a great addition because most of the time I am in a comfortable home where it's 70 degrees or 60 or 80, like, you know, the range doesn't go that far. Let me, let me experience something, you know, different. And, you know, tying this to happiness, Mark, um, people, people try to sh like circumvent the process and shortcut it, you know? And ultimately, I, I, don't, I don't know why. And, and I think it has to relate to um, either, I don't want to say people are not happy, but I want to say they're conditionally happy, where um, the, the book I'm writing is, is about practicing unconditional happiness. Mm. And, you know, I, I think that's, I think that's, the, of course, this is what I think. That's the name of my book. I think that's key. Like, if you're conditionally happy, you're not happy. You're satisfied in the moment because your desires are met. And, you know, um, being unconditionally happy means like, you know, being on mile 25.5 of a marathon where you're like, your lungs are beating out of your chest, your legs are on fire. And in that moment, you're happy. And when you cross the finish line and when you rest after, and then when you pick the next race or decide yes. to never run again. Um, and I don't, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know where that, you know, that disconnect. <laughs> no, it's, uh, I think part of it's cultural. 
uh, and you know, like if you've been to Africa, uh, I've been to villages in Africa where the kids have absolutely zero and you see them, um, half naked running down the dirt road, barefoot with a metal hoop and a stick laughing their asses off and having a great time. And they're unconditionally happy. It is not, it's not, uh, dependent upon something else happening or something, some other goal coming true right in the moment they're having a blast and they're very, and it's, they're not comparing their, their happiness to other people's happiness or their lot in life. They're not, they're not, uh, you know, they're not outside themselves. They're in the moment. And I wish, I wish I had that, you know, it's like, that's the, that's the real thing where as here, so many people are like, you know what, Sean, I'm not happy yet, but I will be when something happens, right? I, I'm almost happy. I'm not quite happy. I'm going to be happy when this happens. Then, you know, and I've, you know, I've seen it happen. I've watched it happen to myself where you, know, you have a big event that happens in your life. Win, winning a race, a great example. You win a race. It's a feeling of elation that lasts about a day. And then there's almost a depression if you don't correct it of like, that's the what's next, right? That's like, okay, I just achieved this goal. Everything I'd done the last six weeks, six months was in the, in the pursuit of this goal. I achieved the goal and now I'm let down. What's next? And, and you would think like, what the fuck? Like you just, you just accomplished this huge life goal. Why would you not want to be happy for the rest of the week or the rest of the year? you know, or the rest of your life, but no, it's already, you're already thinking about the next thing. So I have to catch myself sometimes from, from doing that. Right. And from attaching uh, happiness to, to outcomes rather than enjoying the process, uh, enjoying the mm -hmm. journey. Now, you know, uh, from my own perspective, having achieved a sense of security allows me the luxury of spending more time enjoying the moment and not worrying about the bad things that might happen because that ten, that's my my tendency is to is to be a worrier about what what could go wrong right what's the what what could, what could happen to dismantle all this and, and set us back to zero um i've been able to overcome that but only in the last couple of only in the last decade or so um have i truly gotten to the point where my wife goes oh my god you're so much lighter and fun to be around you know all the time now um because you're not caught up in in the thought or the or the project or the book or the whatever it is that you're working on and uh it's so it's just it's a you know i think it's a it's a skill that in this culture we have to develop it as a skill in some cultures like i say in my visits to africa like oh my god this these people are so happy like i love that and 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 uh and that's what they have that's all they have and they're happy with it um we're more culturally like you know, feeling the value of happiness and feeling having to have a relative amount of stuff going on. So I don't know, that's maybe waxing too philosophical for even myself here. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I love, I love it. And, you know, it's something that I think about all the time is like, how do people that just don't have anything or don't have nearly as much as us, how are they, they are unconditionally happy, yes. right? Yeah. Um, and a lot of it, you know, it's circumstantial, right? Like you don't know what you don't know. Um, but that's, that is no excuse, right? Like we don't know what we don't know, right? You know, um, obviously from their point of view, there are people with more 
um, in some element. It might might not look like more to us, but to them, it looks the same. And it's just it it, it really. I, I personally think it's a detachment from nature. Um, I personally, you know, I, I like I I try hard. Actually, I, I take that back. I don't try hard enough. It's something I want to work on to connect myself more with nature. Um, even like my really good friend. Um, he just started living out of a van. He totally doesn't like need to, but he's like, you know, it's going to force me to like, who wants to hang out in the back of a van? Like, you know, he's like, he's like, it's, I'm there to like get food, change clothes, sleep. Besides that, I'm going to be outside. You know, he's like, like, it's very inconvenient for him to be indoors. Um, you know, there's not like a lot to move and he's setting his environment up for success, you know, and, He's, in my opinion, like eliminating distraction too, because that's, that's a huge element of it is we're, we're all creatures of habit. We're all humans. Um, if we have the chance, if it's like, like, I don't know, I love camping, but if I have the choice, if I'm like here and I don't need to set up a tent, I could just lay in a big comfy bed. Like I'm going to lay in a big comfy bed, you know? Sure. And then, and then when I'm camping, I'm like, this is the best. Why don't I do this every single night? Right? Like Exactly. Exactly. You know, um, yeah. same with, same with food. I try to win at the grocery store. If I don't, if I have nothing but fruits, vegetables, lean meats here, Oh, I love it. Right. When there's, you know, brownies in the house, I mean the brownies, you know, like it just, it's just what, um, goes down. Um, you know, M- Mark, I, I have a, I have a couple questions for you about, uh, nutrition. Um, and I'd love, I guess, I guess I would love like in your, in your words, uh, would you say the, the, Primal Blueprint is your most like well-rounded book yeah. on nutrition. Yeah, that's my treatise on nutrition. That's what <clears throat> that's the um, sort of the overarching uh, theme um, and foundation upon which every other book I wrote was based. But it still comes back to really having to understand how the human body works in order to get in order to take the advice that I give you. I I, I insist that you understand how the body works so it makes sense to you. Right. So yeah, the primal blueprint is my book. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm wondering like, uh, not the main takeaway in your words. I'm wondering what's like, what do you think is like the most important, like foundational element that people would take away from that book that like other things build off of? Well, I would say that, uh, the recognition that 80% of your body composition is determined by how you eat. In other words, you can't exercise away a bad uh, diet, um, that you can't um, create the body composition that you're seeking or the blood sugar management or any of the other aspects. Uh, Even you can't even sleep properly if you don't have your diet dialed in, which isn't to say that you shouldn't work out. You absolutely should work out and you absolutely should sleep right and get sun exposure. But the diet is the is the critical component of this. So most people would have would really be well served to start with the diet. And in that regard, they would start with eliminating the processed foods, right? The pies, cakes, candies, sugars, sweetened beverages, industrial seed oils, and just kind of come down to uh, real food. And just to the extent that they can incorporate real food in their dietary program for, say, a 30 day experience and see what and see what it feels like, they'll be sold, right? They'll, they'll get, whether or not they stick to it, they'll know that it works and they'll, and they'll understand that this is the way we were designed to eat, you know, natural foods, lean proteins, healthy fats, 
some amount of starchy carbs, green leafy vegetables and fruits, uh, but not dessert at every meal, not sugar sweetened beverages, uh, you know, not all of the stuff that kind of gets not brownies in the house um, that get kind of everybody off track way too often. I mean, the, you know, the reality is we're, we're sur surrounded by food all the time and most of the food we're surrounded by is not good for us. So it's, it's, it's a real problem for a lot of people. It's a real temptation, which is why so many people are turning to Ozempic now, right? They, they just didn't have the, they didn't have the constitution to be able to take 30 days and just address the issue with, with again, lean meats and, and, and uh, quality fats and fruits and vegetables. So yeah. that's, that's the main takeaway. I mean, look, um, the other thing is um, life is is meant to be enjoyed and I want people to enjoy their life. So I try to tell people, look, don't don't craft a, a dietary strategy that you're going to hate or that you're going to, you know, set, your, set yourself up for success, like surround yourself with the foods on the list of foods that we provide in the Primal Blueprint. Surround yourself with those foods that you love and or that you that you like a lot and never let yourself go hungry. You know, don't overeat. Don't be a glutton. Learn how to rein in your appetite, but, but don't make it an unpleasant experience at all. Food is one of the great pleasures in life. And I love to eat and I'm, you know, I make sure every bite of food I put in my mouth tastes fabulous. And in fact, if you tell me you got some new recipe for a kale salad, that's going to blow my socks off. I'm like, I'm not, no, I'm not buying that. I'm not eating the kale salad. Um, you know, it's, it's just, I don't, the fact that you say it's good for me and you say it might be the best thing I could eat. If it doesn't taste good, I'm not having it. So, um, yeah. you know, I want people to, I really want people to enjoy life. That comes back to kind of your main theme. Like, I want people to extract the greatest amount of enjoyment, fulfillment, contentment, pleasure out of every possible moment, which means being in the now, which means being able to appreciate those moments as they happen, right? Um, and so a lot of what I've done over the years in my, in my writing is to give people um, strategies for doing that, for, for, you know, achieving that sort of sense of satisfaction and accomplishment, uh, and fulfillment, whether it's in the gym, whether it's, uh, you know, going on a walk in fresh air, whether it's my latest one is, you know, getting people to understand how walking in, uh, on a rocky surface in Paluvas can like be like giving yourself a foot massage for 45 minutes. It's unbelievable. You know, and people, they never experience that. So I want people to have these, these sorts of experiences. <laughs> I, I love it. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, being like experiencing life is absolutely, I think one of the reasons we're here, like we learn through experience and, um, you know, I think sometimes going back to, really the title of this podcast, right? The happiness discipline. It, I came to that title because I think discipline or I think happiness is a discipline, right? And like, if as you're eating food, you're focusing on the freshness of the fruit, right? And you know, how it is healthy and how it is sweet, maybe subtle and like, you know, the flavors in there and the natural flavors that we just kind of like connect with, like, of course, if you're comparing it, like you could be eating, you know, grapes and be like, oh my God, are grapes the best fruit ever? They're so sweet and delicious. Or you could be comparing it to pizza and saying like, like, this is not as good as pizza. We're not, we don't need yeah. to compare it to pizza. 
that's your mind losing discipline in my opinion. Yeah. Right. And that's where the happiness and, and health connect uh, quite a bit. Um, I, uh, I reviewed your, the laws of, uh, the primal blueprint, you know, before. And the one that in, caught my eye the most was the second law, um, about avoiding like poisonous stuff. Yeah. And I think when most people read that, they're, they're probably thinking like literally like poison. Um, it was like, you know, like sugars, bad oils and grains, right? Mm-hmm. Um, grains is one I do have a question on. Uh, like, I, I mean, I don't love, I don't love eat how I feel after grains. So it's not that I'm questioning the law. I, I more want to understand like what, what makes you think, uh, what makes you say that that's like, you know, poisonous. Well, it, everybody has sort of a different tolerance for grains in general. And particularly in this country, you know, we have not, we, we didn't evolve to, digest the tightly wound pro- proteins that you find in most grains. So grains didn't even come into the human diet until about 8,000 years ago. Uh, before that, it was impossible. To, before we were figuring out how to cultivate and harvest and grow grains and store them and turn them into bread and things like that, grains didn't exist in the human diet. We were hunter-gatherers. We were foraging for um, you know meat, wild animals, game, uh, fruits and vegetables, maybe some some starchy tubers. Grains exist on a spectrum for a lot of people. I, I don't do well with grains. That's the reason I wrote the Primal Blueprint in the first place. I had, uh, from the age of 14 to 47, I had irritable bowel syndrome. I had arthritis in my feet. I had tendonitis in my hips. I had gastroesophageal reflux. Um, I had a lot of these these issues that I only discovered late in life were directly a result of my eating grains, in particular wheat. So even though I'm not celiac, it doesn't mean I don't have a particular reaction to grains. And the fact that you just said that you, you don't, your body doesn't feel right or well when you eat grains, you're one of the people that's on that spectrum of like, maybe it's better off that you not eat grains to the extent that the U.S. government would suggest that you eat them in terms of six to 11 servings a day. So the primal blueprint did come about as a uh, as a kind of an aha moment I had when I did a 30-day experiment at the age of 47, and I gave up grains for 30 days, and all of my arthritis went away, all my, my irritable bowel syndrome that had run my life for low those 30 years went away, and um, that's when I really understood the power of food, the power of uh, how certain foods can be toxic to a lot of people, and then along came people like, uh, you know, Melissa Urban, who used to be Melissa Hartwig, who wrote the whole 30 program, and she would do a 30 day elimination. And a lot of what she did was based on her reading my early works. And she said, well, I'm going to go one better. I'm just going to eliminate everything for 30 days, not everything, but, you know, anything that would be deemed to be potentially problematic, whether it's nightshades, uh, alcohol, uh, grains, um, sugars, and artificial sweeteners and things like that. And then see how I feel and reintroduce this stuff. And invariably, everyone who does one of these elimination diets feels better. It's a challenge for a lot of people. It's, it's, you know, it's, you're giving up stuff that you've been eating your whole life. But if, as I said, if you find uh, ways to um, keep your large, your, your pantry stocked or your refrigerator stocked with the good stuff, and then whenever you're hungry, you feel the need or the urge to go 
you know, off, off the program, just don't let yourself go hungry. There's a, it's a good strategy, uh, to figure out what foods you are, you know, that, that are problematic for you. So when I say don't eat poisonous things, um, you know, like for example, a lot of people don't eat tuna fish anymore because of mercury. They're afraid of mercury. Mercury is a poison, right? Well, that doesn't mean necessarily that you can't ever have tuna again as long as you live. But if you were having a tuna fish sandwich every day for your whole life and your mercury levels are high and you were eating the wrong kind of tuna, that's a poisonous thing that builds up over time. Um, I've always, the last five years, you've heard nothing but um, industrial seed oils are horrible for you, right? So stay away from canola, soy, bean oil, um, corn oil. Well, you know, they're problematic for a lot of people and there's nothing good about them. Some people can get away with eating them and not have real issues, but most people will find that, that, that consuming high levels of industrial seed oils are problematic because inf inflammation, they may have uh, an effect on how your body uh, manages glucose. Uh, they may get incorporated into the cells in ways that, that uh, allow the cells to, or cause the cells to maybe not function as well or not be as pliable. So to the extent that you can get rid of them, get rid of them. But it doesn't mean you're going to you know, croak or keel over if you have a serving of soybean oil because you went to a Japanese restaurant and something was fried in it. So the general concept of avoiding poisonous things was uh, just, a, a kind of, again, if you go back to, I, I drew this from evolutionary biology. So you go back to human history. If we ate a poison berry, we died, right? There was no <laughs> emergency room. You couldn't get your stomach pumped. Maybe before you died, maybe you threw up or, you know, there was some, there was some reaction, but there were so many plants that are poisonous to humans. One of the reasons we have this sweet, these taste buds, virtually everything that's sweet is probably good for us or okay to eat, right? At least in nature, going back thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of years. Many of the things or most of the things that are bitter are actually toxic, certainly in their raw state. So most of the things that are bitter um, that we even today find bitter, most of us would choose to prepare them by boiling them or steaming them or sauteing them or, you know, denaturing them in some way. That's our taste buds. That's our natural, normal human taste buds helping us out, helping us to identify those things which are probably good for us and those things which are probably bad for us. So anyway, that, that, that avoid poisonous things was kind of the it was just the corollary to eat lots of plants and animals, right? Which is the rule number one. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, re I really love that. And it's funny, um, you know, you do get the people that are trying to be very extreme and it's, it's awesome to see their discipline, their commitment to it. Um, and you just want to make sure they don't lose out on, you know, certain experiences, you know, in life. And yep. um, I learned that I learned that lesson. Talked to my friend, Sam Johnston, um, Every single day for lunch, he eats a full pound of grass-fed, grass-finished beef. Um, he, you know, he works out a ton, and that's his big meal of the day. And I said, Sam, you eat a lot of fat. He goes, No, I don't. And I said, You eat a full ground, like a full pound of beef every day at lunch. He goes, That's one meal. I eat a low-fat diet. You know, yeah. And it was it was interesting because it just like reframed it. You know, it's like we don't want to get focused on the small stuff, right? Like. He's like, you know, he's eating fruit and like low fat yogurt and, you know, stuff for breakfast and, uh, you know, lean chicken breast for dinner yes. with vegetables. 
And I'm like, oh, like, you know, when you put it in perspective, you're like, oh, you do eat a low fat diet. Like, who cares if you have a high fat meal? Um, you know, it's same thing. Like, uh, same thing. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's very similar concept. Um, man, Mark, I, I feel like we could go forever, but uh, I want to be respectful of your time. I got to tell you how much I, I enjoyed this. Um, I, I feel uh, inspired to educate myself a little more. I feel inspired to, um, you know, take action on some of the things I learn and try to, you know, inspire, you know, others. And uh, yeah, I just, I really appreciate this. No, my pleasure. Hey, quick question. I was thinking about this. I saw you changing body positions there. Um, are you, um, were, were you standing on a, uh, on a stone mat? No, but I need to get one. Got to get one. That's amazing. I mean, that, that was when I first started doing a stand-up desk 20 years ago, um, I got a stone mat. And, this, and you can buy them on Amazon. And the stones are about this big. It's incredible how it just it grounds you. It, it, it you know, and barefoot on them. It, it, you don't even need you don't need shoes because of the change. Again, the, the nature of the surface is changing all the time. Anyway, that's just a little uh, little little trick for you there. I won't call it a hack, but uh, <laughs> get a stone no, mat. I, I I love it. Yeah, I am. Um, I've heard some people using. it. I should look into it. Um, yeah. I should look into it. I, I always try to, uh, I always try to stand and, um, and also kind of like listen to my body, you know, ran this yep. morning, lifted weights, stood for a few hours, sitting now. It's all good. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, it's, it's one of the, one of the things that we see in life, a stand-up desk was the thing for a while and everybody has a stand-up desk. And then my friend Katie Bowman's like, oh, well, that's good, but change positions every 10 or 15 minutes, right? Don't stand standing at a desk all day. It's just as bad as sitting at a desk all day, right? You have to change body positions and, uh, you know, these sort of ancestral postures that we evolved to utilize. Let's utilize them. Anyway, just a little, a little tip in, in, uh, in walking out the door here. Mark, I love your passion. Like, like, like teaching really is a passion to you. And I see it, it doesn't come from anything but like that you put a lot of hard work, a lot of effort lot of focus into learning these things and you know that they at least work for you and have worked for a lot of other people so you want to share that and you know yep. um that to me really is inspirational so you know uh, cool. if, if it means anything keep keep it all keep i appreciate it. that i will i will yeah thanks sean oh, man thanks so much appreciate the time all right hey thank you for watching today's episode if you got something out of this, it would mean so much if you could just take a second and give us a rating on whatever platform you're watching it on. And it would mean so much to the world if you could just find one person that you think this message resonates with and you could share that with them. Thank you so much for your support. Looking forward to share the next episode with you.